Anyways, welcome everybody to Impact Church. My name is Eric Mianomi, the lead pastor here. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Um, we are in the closing parts of our series that we've been doing all month long called Winning the War in Your Mind, which is a series based off of a Craig Rochelle book and series um, that he did at his church. So if you want to know more about what we're talking about and you weren't here the past three weeks, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that. Or you can get the book. I highly recommend that because that's where all this is coming from is from that book, a Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. Um, you ever act out of fear or worry in a way that at the time seemed fairly logical for you to do, but then when you think back on it later, you're like, that was really strange and an illogical way of, for me to do that. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was, taking a, uh, I was taking a shower. I was at my house by myself in the middle of the day, and in our shower, we have a ledge that I normally put my phone, I'll either listen to a podcast on my phone, or I'll like watch some shows or whatever on my phone while I'm taking a shower. And um, this time I decided to go on YouTube and a video caught my eye. It was top 10 serial killers that have not been caught yet. I was like, I'm watching that. I want to know about those. So I'm watching, I'm taking a shower. Then all of a sudden while I'm showering, it's like about like one o'clock in the middle of the day. While I'm showering, I hear a super loud noise in our bedroom. My shower is next to our bedroom. Super loud noise. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, what was that? So I get out of the shower and I look around my room looking to see like maybe something fell. It sounded like something fell. And I don't see anything. There's no signs of anything falling down. So I go back in the shower and I'm still thinking, I'm like, you know what? I know what that was. There's someone in the house. The door's unlocked. There's someone in the house. The video I was watching had nothing to do with my thoughts, okay? The fact that I was watching that. So what I did, the way our, my shower works, there's a mirror here and that mirror you can kind of see into the room. So here's what I started doing because the question wasn't, it, I, is there someone in the house? The question was, is he still in the house? Because he's in the house. So I started in the shower, opening it like this, looking in the mirror, thinking I was going to catch the guy trying to sneak up. So I did that three times, did that. And then I was like, well, I need to figure out what I'm going to do, but I need to finish my shower. So I got, I got out of the shower, and I locked the bedroom, the bathroom door. I was like, I'll deal with him when I'm done my shower. At least I know he's not going to get a sneak attack on me while I'm showering. So I locked the door. I finished my shower. And then I get out of the shower, and then I'm like, hey, what's my plan? I was like, oh, here's my first plan. So the first thing I did is I pretended to unlock the door. Because I thought if I unlock the door, then he's going to try to get in, and then I'm going to know he's right there. So I pretended, and I just waited there for him. I even checked to see if I saw any shadows. Um, and then I was like, okay, he's not falling for my trap. So my next plan is, and I looked in, um, we have a little drawer, and I found um, haircutting scissors with rounded tips. And I was like, all right, I'm armed, I'm ready to go. So then I opened the door like this, because I'm ready to stab this guy. And no one was there. So then I start walking around my room checking closets to see where this person is. Now, remind you, I just got out of the shower. I don't know how you guys shower, but I was wandering my house in my birthday suit with scissors that couldn't stab anybody looking for this intruder that was in my house. That's what I was doing. By the third closet I checked, I realized this is probably a little illogical. There's probably not anyone in this house. I don't know what that noise was, but whatever. So then I, I finished taking my shower. I just don't think about it. Then my wife gets home and I tell her this story. And I was like, this loud noise, I still don't know what it was. And she walked into the room, and immediately an entire bookshelf fell over. It was so noticeable what it was. I had to step over it while I was chasing after the guy. And she was like, it was this, you dummy, what are you talking about? And then that, I'm sure, caused a fight of how I don't clean up enough. So, so you don't see anything. See, this is the problem. But this is what our mind can do, can it? Like, all of a sudden, you can leap to these irrational thoughts that, like, you shouldn't actually have that, that can eventually cripple us, that, that can harm us, that 
when you look back on it, like, why did I think that? I don't know why I ever thought there was somebody there. But at the moment, you're like, there's no other option. Maybe for you, it's like this. Maybe you're in school, and you're worried about getting a bad grade. Because if you get a bad grade, then you're going to fail high school. You're not going to be able to go to college. If you can't go to college, you're not going to be able to get a job. And if you don't have a job, you don't have any money. So you have to live with your parents for the rest of your life. And you don't want to do that. So this one bad grade, you have to live with your parents for the rest of your life. You see, I can jump pretty quick. Maybe for you, you, you have a headache. And it's probably just because you didn't drink enough water that day. But just to check, I'm going to Google what a headache, what it could possibly be. And you realize, oh, no, I got a tumor. So I got to go to the doctors because I got a headache. That's, we can start leaping, all these things. Maybe you, your kids go to school, and you're worried because they're hanging out with kids you don't know or you don't know what they're teaching them. And all of a sudden, what if your kids get into the wrong group of friends? And if they do, then all of a sudden, they're going to start doing a lifestyle that I don't agree with, and they're going to lose their faith. They're going to hate me as, as parents. They're going to join a gang. And if they join a gang, they're eventually going to go to prison. They're going to be in prison for the rest of their life because of the friends they're hanging out with right now in school. All of a sudden, we can jump there. Or maybe you need a break from work. You have to hold it all together, and you have to make sure you're always available when it comes to work, because what if you get an emergency phone call in the middle of the night, and you're not by your phone? So you always have to be ready for work, because what if you get that call, and then you miss that call, and then emergency happens, and you're not there to answer it, and all of a sudden, your entire job and your entire, entire work collapses, and your whole family's going to go homeless because you are not, aren't always working. You can see how our thoughts can start to do that. And I'm exaggerating, but not by a lot. Because what we've been learning throughout this entire series and through this book that we've been going through, here's the bottom line we've been learning this entire series. Our lives always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And we have a lot of worries in life. We have bills that we have to pay. We have kids that need braces. We have marriages that are barely holding on. We have family dynamics that we never saw as a kid, but now that we're older, we see it. We have kids that we want to have faith, and they're wandering away. Or you want to have faith, but you have doubts. We have worries in life. There's a lot of reasons to worry. There's a lot of reasons to be anxious. And throughout this series, we've been looking at what Paul tells us. And here's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we define strongholds as the lies that we tell ourselves, the lies that we believe that can make us a prisoner to our own thoughts, those lies. We demolish those strongholds, and here's how in verse 5. We demolish arguments of every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We understand that there is a war going on in our mind. So we pre-decide, we pre-frame our mindset to make sure that we stay obedient. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And I love my favorite word in that last verse, in verse 5, is the word make that you make it obedient. You force, if you have to, you force it. You, you set yourself up to make sure it is obedient. If you leave your thoughts up to itself, then your thoughts are going to go in a direction that you necessarily don't want it to go to. So when lies come into our minds, you make them obedient. You make it obedient so that you will go the right direction in life. And last week, we looked at what Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Philippi. And Paul writes this letter while he's in house arrest. He's, he's arrested, he's in house arrest, and he writes this letter to uh, the church in Philippi. And here's what he says. We looked at this verse last week. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So last week, if you weren't here, we talked about filters and our frames. We talked about 
deciding to thank God for all the things that didn't happen in our lives to preframe our mindset and to look for God's goodness in every situation. But how do we continue to do that when there's so much to worry about? How do we continue to do that when there's so many worries in our minds? Because it's a great idea. It's, it's great, but it sure isn't easy. Because there are times for me that I am crippled by my worries and my fears. And here's what I've learned. In, in all of our brains, there is something called the amygdala. Here's actually a picture of what the amygdala looks like. The amygdala is a little almond portion of our brain, really small, little almond portion of our brain, that is wired for survival. When your amygdala is engaged, that's when your fight or flight turns on, when all of a sudden you just respond that way. It's a natural and good part of your brain that keeps you safe from danger. This week, um, a dog got out in our neighborhood, and it followed my kids home. And so my kids were like, hey, there's a dog. We now have a new dog. I'm like, we're not going to dog. So this dog is there, and we're trying to figure out what to do with it. I don't really have a leash, so we're kind of just trying to like, he's luckily a nice dog. We're kind of walking him down. And one of our other neighbors, like four houses down, has a pit bull in their backyard, and it's really loud. I've never seen, seen the pit bull out, but barking really loud. All of a sudden, myself and this dog and my kids are walking down the street, and the pit bull sees this other dog and decides he wants to come hang out. So the pit bull jumps over the fence and starts racing towards us. And my kids turned. It's actually kind of funny. They turned and started scream crying and running as, far, as fast as they could. The pit bull was very nice. He just came up and pet him. But my kids immediately, their, their amygdala was engaged. They're like, oh, no, we're going to die. Let's run. And they're just screaming down the street. And all my neighbors are like, what happened to your kids? Like, yeah, they're fine. The amygdala is a good thing. It's a good thing. The problem is your amygdala is not objective. And it's easily triggered. That's why our amygdala needs help. And that's why we also have the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the logical part of the brain. That's the logical part. If the amygdala is all panic, the, the prefrontal cortex is all logic. If you hear a noise in the middle of the night and you think someone's here to murder us, that's your amygdala. But then you think, oh, we have a cat. It's not that. That's your prefrontal cortex. It's, it works together. So you may be thinking, okay, well, how come some of us panic easier, and that kind of seems to be our baseline, where others of us are, it's more logical. We more think logically, and that's kind of our baseline. How come there's a difference? And here's why. Our amygdala, our amygdala responds to pre-programming. Here's what that means. Our amygdala responds based on your past experiences, based on your past trauma, on your, ba on your past hurts, on your past feelings. All of that stuff affects your amygdala. It responds to pre-programming. So now, your amygdala might be triggered by certain people or by certain places, or by certain experiences, or certain news, or, or certain events. So without even knowing it, your mind can become overwhelmed with fear, and anxiety, and worry because your amygdala was triggered by something that you aren't even aware of. So Paul, Paul writes all this stuff about, think about what's pure, and good, and, and right, and that sounds great, Paul. I would love to do that. Here's the problem. I have a lot of worries. We have a lot of worries in life. See, that sounds great, Paul. I would love to do that. I would love to always think about what's nice and butterflies, everything else that you told me to think about. But what happens when I have all these fears and all these worries? And that's why I love what Paul said just two verses prior to what we just read. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In every situation, that means the big situations and the small ones. In every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. Remember where Paul's writing this. He's not like in his happy circumstance. He's in house arrest. He's in prison writing this. And he says, with prayer and petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. And when you do, he will guard your hearts and your minds. He tells not to be anxious about anything, but give everything to him. And how do we do that? How do we, how do we have a peace that transcends our understanding, that guards our heart and guards our mind? Paul tells us. He says you do that through prayer. Through prayer. Now, you might not look at prayer the right way, maybe just like sometimes I don't look at prayer the right way. Here's what we normally think about prayer. You normally think of prayer as like a tradition. It's what you do before dinner. It's what you do before you go to bed. That's, that's what prayer is. Or maybe you even think of it as like a good thought. Like someone tells you something that's going on, you say, hey, I'm praying for you. And in your head, you're like, well, I'm not really going to pray for you. I'm just more saying that, saying, hey, good luck with that. That's, I, I'm just trying to be nice. But I'll pray for you about this situation, even though you might not actually do it. Or um, for you, it might be a trump card. Um, don't judge me on this, but when I was in high school, I never broke up with any girls. God always did it. I didn't want to, but I would pray about it and say, I'm sorry. I really want to keep dating, but God told me we should not date anymore. So it's a trump card. So God broke up with so many girls in my life. I never did. But sometimes what we do, it's a trump card. We, we use it as like this. We say, well, hey, I, I prayed about this, so this is it now. It's like, yeah, but that's, I didn't get that when I prayed about it. Yeah, yeah, but I prayed about it, so it's my trump card. It's, it's, what, it's the answer. Or we think of prayer as a last resort. We go, well, all we can do now is pray. That's all we can do. Like, that's nothing. Like, well, time to give up. But here's what prayer really is, because we get prayer wrong pretty consistently. Prayer isn't our last line of defense. It's our first line of offense. Hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace. James tells us that you do not have because you do not ask. Prayer isn't the last line of defense. It's not just what we do. That's all we have left to do. Or, or, or any. It's, it's our way of saying, you know what? I'm going to attack this. It's my line of offense. I'm going to go to God, the God of the universe, with prayer. Because Scripture tells us that prayer moves the heart of God. God gives you the ability, the creator of the universe gives you the ability to go directly to him with your request, no matter how big or how small, in every situation, like Paul says, and no, no matter how big or small, and communicate that request to the God of the universe. That's not all prayer does, because it, it changes the heart of God. We can go to God with our request, but prayer also changes our mind. It literally changes our wiring and our chemistry in our mind. Um, for decades, Neurologists believe that our brains didn't really change much after adolescence, and more discoveries found out that that definitely is not true, that our brains continually change. Thank God, because in adolescence, I'm glad my brain is continuing to change. From my adolescence, I was breaking up with girls because God told me to back then, right? So your brain needs to change. And we've talked about neuropathways. We've talked about neuroplasticity, but there's also something called neurotheology. It is the study of our mind in relationship to God. And I read a fascinating article this week from NPR, npr.org, and they are finding the difference from people that pray and people that don't. And NPR is not a religious um, thing at all. The, the, the person, the, the doctor, Dr. Andrew Newberg, he's not religious at all. But here's what they found. Here's actually a picture of it. They did a study. They did uh, CAT scans for people. They, the first one they did is someone just baseline. Like from the very beginning of their experiment, this is what it looked like. And then they asked the participants to every day for um, eight weeks pray for 12 minutes a day. Every day, for 12 minutes a day, for eight weeks, pray. And their brain, you can see the, the scan next, literally changed. Their brain literally was rewired, it changed. And here's a quote that I found fascinating that he said. This is Dr. Andrew Newberg. He says, 
we found some very significant and profound changes in the brain just at rest, particularly in the areas of the brain that help us to focus our minds and focus our attention. They had improvements of about 10 or 15%. Just eight weeks, brain every day for 12 minutes a day, 10 to 15% your, their brain improved. He continues, this is, the, this is only after eight weeks at 12 minutes a day, so you can imagine what happens in people who are deeply religious and spiritual and are doing these practices for hours a day, for years and years. And then I, they, he says something here that I just find so fascinating because you can tell he does not want to say that there is a spirituality or deity. He doesn't want to say that because he's a doctor. He wouldn't say that. But here, listen to what he says here. He has to give, he has data. He has to say what he says. So it's actually going to be on the screen. We're going to put this quote on the screen. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> Trying to stop me. For those individuals who want to go down the path of arguing that all of our religious and spiritual experiences are nothing more than a biological phenomenon, some of this data does support that kind of conclusion. But the data also does not specifically eliminate the notion that there is a religious or spiritual or divine presence in the world. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you want to just say that every religious experience or every spirituality and every time you feel like connected to God is just your brain just biologically doing that, there isn't really a God, then there's some data that supports that. But this data also supports the fact that there just is something else in this world. And when we do something like prayer, like Jesus commands us to do, it changes your brain scientifically and it grows you closer to something else. The data supports either one. Here's what you need to understand. Prayer changes your brain. Toxic negative thoughts, they harm your brain, but prayer heals your brain. So why do we worry so much? Why do we find our brains taking us down a path of worry? Science says that for a lot of us, we are, we are experiencing a, a amygdala hijack, that your brain can tell that you're in trouble, and when, even when you aren't, it'll tell you that you're in trouble, so all of a sudden we find ourselves worrying more than we actually sh should. So your brain tells you to keep worrying, keep working hard, or it's going to get worse. But here's what scripture would say when it comes to our worry. We worry because our mind is dominated by sinful thinking. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promise, promises and power of God. Now, before I continue, I want to make something perfectly clear. Um, I am not talking here about a medical condition of anxiety. Some of us in this room struggle with anxiety. It's a medical condition we struggle with. I am not here to say, hey, well, you struggle with that because you just don't pray enough, you don't have faith enough. I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. Um, I am not here to say that. I'm not talking about that kind of worry. Here's what I'm talking about. This is the worry I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the sinful nature that we all have to take control. The sinful nature of us to say, you know what, I want to have control in this situation. When our sinful nature takes control, it tells us that we can't trust that God is in control. So if God's not in control, we have to worry about it. Because God's not in control, it's on me, and if I can't do it, I got to worry. Instead of letting, the sin, letting our sinful nature control our minds, instead, we choose to let the Spirit direct our thinking. Instead of falling back on the amygdala, we are going to let our logical part of our brain choose what is spiritual. You choose to do the rewiring your brain through prayer. Here's how Paul says in Romans. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. That is why we take 
every thought captive. We make it obedient to Christ. You decide. You preframe. You choose. You choose to give your life and your thoughts to God in prayer. And the more you pray, your brain will change. It will rewire itself. Let me show you um, uh, an, an, an illustration how this looks for some of us. Some of us, we have our box of worries. Then here we go, we have God. So here's what some of us do. We have this box full of all of our worries. And so we hear a sermon like this, and like, hey, you need to, you need to preframe, you need to pray to God, you need to give it over to God. So we go, okay, God, I'm going to give it over to you. So we take our box, and we grab our worry, and we go, okay, God, I'm handing this over to you, and we put it in our God box. And we wait. After a couple minutes, like, yeah, here's, uh, nothing's really happening. Um, I don't really see. So, God, I'm going to take this back. You haven't done anything with it, so I'm going to take this back. Okay, I, I tried. I gave it to you for a minute, and um, a couple minutes went by. still feel it, so I'm taking it back. And here's the problem with some of us. Some of us, the problem is our worry box is way too big, and our God box is way too small. What if instead we thought of it this way? Where all of a sudden, every worry that we had, we thought, you know what, God? This is a worry that I'm having. This is a, this is a struggle that I'm having. I am going to choose to give it to you because I know that you can handle it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. If it's something you struggle with, something that you worry about, God wants you to bring it to him. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do this week. It's going to sound a little silly. I've given this home before, but it really works. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to go home and make yourself a God box. Okay? It can be just like this. It can be this basic. Just put something on it. And when something happens that you're worried about, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down on a piece of paper and put it in your God box. Okay? You write it down and you put it in. You, you pray about it. You say, God, I'm giving this over. I'm handing this over to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm done with it. And you put it in your God box. And then you go about your day. You just live the rest of your day. Then if you find yourself worrying about that exact same situation, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your God box, take the paper out, and say, all right, I'm taking it back. It's a way for you to signify what you're actually doing. If we submit it to God, we don't need to worry about it. He has it. But if we start worrying about it again, then take it back out, because that's what we're doing. You're saying, I'm taking it back. I'm trying to take control of it again. And if you find yourself worrying, then take another moment, pray about it, and put it back in your God box. For me, I have plenty of worries just like all of you. I worry about things like losing my family. I have like dreams about what happened if, if my wife were to be gone or, or, or my wife and my kids were getting into a car accident and I'm by myself. Like, I think about those kind of things every once in a while and it like, it'll cripple me if I don't like try to get that out, out of my mindset of just what would I do? Who, what kind of person? How would I keep going? How would I move forward? What would my faith look like if that happened? I worry about my kids at school they're in elementary school. My youngest son, Noah, is going to be in kindergarten next year. And they come home talking about what these kids said to them at school. And these kids picked, them, picked on them on the bus. And, and it's stuff, I was talking to Michelle about this yesterday. It's like, it's stuff that all of our kids have to go through. We as parents can't just jump in and take care of that. But man, do I want to. Because like, man, when a kid is mean to my kid, I want to punch that kid right in the face, right? Because that's what I want to do. But like, there's nothing, they have to learn how this works, because it's going to happen. That's part of life. But man, I worry constantly about what is happening with my kids at school, and if other kids are being nice to them, or if they're being nice to other kids. I worry about that all the time. I worry that um, I don't necessarily know how to lead this church into the next step, because I, I don't. 
So I'm worried that what if I take, if, what if I help lead this church or cast a vision that is not where we're actually supposed to go as a church? What if I do that? And I also worry about the weight of my position. I understand I'm the lead pastor. But there's a weight there that God calls me to preach biblically to you so that I don't want to go to heaven and be like, hey, you really messed up a whole congregation because of beliefs that you told them. I don't want that to happen. There's a weight. So those are some of my worries that I have. What if we took our worries, because this is the God that we believe in. We believe that the God of the universe says, I don't want some of you. I want all of it. So if we have our God box big enough, we can put all of our worries into it. Then all of a sudden, we can give every part of ourselves to him. But how do we actually do this? I'm going to give you three ways really quickly on how we start to do this. Given every part of our worries to God. Three ways we do this. You can write this down. Number one, do what you can. I'm going to do what I can. We don't just say, okay, God, I trust you. So take care of it for me. No, we do what we can do. That we should do what we can do. We don't just worry about our health. We eat right. We don't just worry about our test. We study. We don't just worry about our money. We budget. Do what you can do. You do have some control. Do what you can do. But then number two, give God what you can't do. You have some control, but a lot of stuff you don't. So the stuff you don't have control, you give God what you can't do. When you can't do it, you trust God with it. You realize that it is beyond your control, which is okay. There are a lot of things beyond your control. So we say, God, I can't do anything about this, so I need to put my trust in you. And then the last one, trust God no matter what. God is good. God loves you. God is for you. So no matter what happens in your life, we can trust God. We can trust that he is faithful. Our mind is a battlefield. It's a war between thoughts of faith and thoughts of fear. But God wants you to have a heart of peace. God wants you to live with joy. God wants you to have a mind of peace. But you can only do that when we fully give every aspect of ourselves to him. We fully trust in him. It's your choice. In week two, for those that were here, um, I gave you a homework assignment to do declarations. Think about the strongholds in your life and, and write down I am statements of declaration. We had a bunch of people come up here and give their declarations. And I hope you did it. Um, I had some people email me theirs. Um, our men's group, we, we shared some of ours. I hope you had a chance to do it. But what I want to do as we close this entire series is I want to give you some declarations that we find in Scripture. I want to speak over you the declarations of who God is to you. So um, I'm going to ask you to, everyone, close their eyes. And these declarations I'm about to speak to you, you may not believe them. But when I read Scripture, it's true about you. Receive these declarations. You are not a hostage to your unhealthy thoughts because the weapons you fight with are not the weapons of this world. Your spiritual weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. By the power and authority of God, you demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Worry is not your master because you trust in God. His peace guards your heart, guards your mind, and guards your soul in Christ Jesus. You are not a slave to your habits. 
You are not a prisoner to your addiction. You are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of your testimony. You have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. You can open your eyes. So today, as we close out this series, I want to close it out by taking communion together. I think the best way to remind ourselves of the power that we have, power that we can overcome, is by reflecting on the fact that we can be connected to a loving Savior. And the reason why we can be connected to a loving God is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That he was, he was beaten and broken and killed for our sins. And three days later, he came back to life to prove that your sin was taken care of. That even though we can't do anything about it, that his sacrifice is all that we need. We just need to repent of our sins and follow him. So as we close out this series about our mind, Frank's going to play a, a closing song. And as he's playing this song, I'm going to encourage everyone to just go down the middle aisle and grab their elements and come back to their seats. Um, just, just keep it with you, and we will take it together. Um, Pastor Michelle will lead us in, in, in taking the communion together. But I want to give you an opportunity while you're sitting to reflect on what we talked about today. Maybe reflect on some of the worries you're struggling with. Maybe you just sit here and just listen to the song and, and, and read the lyrics. Maybe you, you, you pray to God and say, God, I want to be a person that gives it all to you. Not just a couple worries here and there, not just my worry box of bigger I want to give it all to you. I want this to be an opportunity for you to spend time in prayer, which is not just a closing thing that we do. It's not just the last thing that we do. It is an opportunity for you to connect with the Heavenly Father. It is time for offense. If you find yourself worrying about things, this is the time that we start rewiring our brains right now. So as we close, and, and for those of you that are new here, everyone is welcome to take communion. You don't have to be an owner here at Impact Church. Um, you not, does, not, does not have to be your, your, your church home. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. And if you're not and you want to be, this is an opportunity to do that, for you to accept that grace. But you not have to consider this your church home in order to take communion here. Um, but I want this to be an opportunity for you to reflect on the goodness of God. So we will start with the first aisle. I invite you to go in the back, grab your elements, take a seat. We will take it together as Frank sings this song.